Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast hosted by the Rotman Commerce Fintech Association about all things business, finance, and technology. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Tech Talks podcast. We are here today with Manica Blaine, a venture partner at Brand Project, for our venture capital episode for the Gender Gap in Finance and Technology series. So welcome to the podcast, um, Manica. Thanks for having me. So to start off, can you just give our listeners a brief introduction on who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Um, So I am a venture partner with Brand Project. Um, I just joined them in January, uh, but my career in private equity and venture capital has spanned about over a decade. Um, I'll I'll tell you a bit about my role specifically with Brand Project and I can give some more background on on my career before that. But um, but what I do day to day is I, I look and I search, I seek investment investments to make for Brand Project on Brand Project's behalf. So we invest in seed, pre-seed, um, early stage businesses in the consumer and retail sector. So D2C, direct to commerce focus. Um, and, and yeah, in companies that we've invested in that you might know of are companies like Chef's Plate, um, Freshly, Daily Harvest, um, gainful. Uh, these are businesses that, that are marketing a product to a consumer directly um, through e-com. Uh, some of our companies also sell through wholesale channels as well, but for the most part, it's, it's, it's direct to consumer via e-com. So yeah, I spend most of my day having calls with entrepreneurs and founders of companies that are looking to raise capital. Um, some as early as pre-launch, pre-revenue. Um, sometimes you need to build that relationship really early on. Um, and follow a company and and then when the time's right, um, you know, start digging in and learning more. Uh, Brand Project doesn't make a ton of investments every year. There are venture capital players that, that make 20 investments a year, whereas Brand Project has been around since 2013 and we've actually only invested in 22 companies. So we look to invest in about three, four, five, six companies a year, um, but really work closely with those founders and with those management teams and help them as they scale and build. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, out of the 40 companies that I might speak to in any given week, maybe only a couple of them advance to next stage discussions. Um, so it's kind of a pretty big funnel, but it's, uh, but it's probably the best part of my job, speaking at companies and learning more about what, what people are building. Mm, thank you. That sounds very interesting, Manika. So just to jump into our first question, um, you have a very diversified work background. So how have your experiences in like investment banking and private equity helped you when you transitioned into venture capital? Yeah, I would say, so I started my career in investment banking, um, which I think was a great base. I spent five years in investment banking and about three of those years were actually in consumer and retail. So the sector that I, I now invest in. Um, so certainly for me, it played a great role in building a base, not only in developing my quantitative skills and Excel modeling and being able to you know, be financially fluent. Um, I graduated with an undergrad in commerce from U of T as well. So, um, so I certainly, you know, had the academic background, um, but those first, you know, five years of my career spent in investment banking certainly helped um, put more of that, that academia into practice. Um, also, it helped in terms of the relationships. Like I said, I spent three of, of the five years that I did spend in investment banking, specifically in the consumer and retail sector. So what I would be doing would be advising large companies, large CPGs on the acquisitions of smaller companies and bolt-ons, as well as the large mega mergers and financings, that sort of thing. Um, but it helped me understand 
um, from the from the perspective of, of a craft or a large large company, uh, what they're looking for when they're acquiring a smaller business, and that's what I do now. So in venture capital, you're investing in early stage companies with the hope of an exit someday, and typically those exits, especially for our portfolio companies, have have traditionally been an exit to a strategic group, um, whether that be a Nestle or, or one of the big conglomerates um, in the CPG space. So yeah, that experience of not only helping me build the quantitative base in my skills, but also having the understanding of what the large companies are looking for when they're looking to acquire um, has certainly helped with, um, with, with what I do today. Um, and then after investment banking, so after the five years I spent in banking, I came back to Canada and was really fortunate to land a role with Onyx, so very large private equity player based in Toronto. Um, I joined initially on their mid-cap private equity platforms team on the investment team, so OnCap. OnCap is Onyx's dedicated mid-cap P platform. Um, so I was on the investment team there for three years and that was really fun and exciting. It, it also helped me refine a lot of the quantitative skills that I'd been building in investment banking, but a little bit more on the practical sense and in investing. So, um, you know, compared to the world of investment banking where you're pitching companies on working with them and that sort of thing within private equity, you're now pitching companies that you want to invest in, that you want to build, that you want to partner with. Um, so it's it's, uh, it's it's a different type of pitch, <laughs> but it's a pitch nonetheless. And, uh, and so definitely was a great spot for me to just learn from an investing standpoint, um, how to go about doing that. Um, especially in the mid cap space, compared to the large cap space, the mid cap space and private equity buyout, there would often be a lot of apprehension from founders and companies, you know, private equity is coming in and they're trying to steal my company, what's going on, you know, so convincing them and um, imparting on them that we were looking to really partner with them um, and, uh, and help take them to the next, next chapter in their, in their trajectory um, was, was fun to learn. And, uh, and Onyx has obviously been incredibly successful, specifically on cap, the fund that I worked within. Um, so I got to spend three years doing that. And then I spent the next two years invest uh, fundraising. So I took a break from investing and moved on to a fundraising role where I was um, helping to lead the fundraising for the Onyx Partners Fund. Um, so they were looking to raise $5 billion. And, um, you know, when you're in an investment seat, you often wonder where this money comes from. So you're investing in companies, you're buying companies, but where does that capital come from? Um, well, it comes from institutional investors and family offices and sovereign wealth funds and all kinds of groups of investors. So I think the experience of fundraising for Onyx Partners was great because it gave me an idea of where that capital comes from. It's not just a pot of gold that shows up one day. It's a process whereby you are pitching what, what you do with companies and, and how you create value and how you realize strong returns and um, convincing them to entrust you with that capital so you can go about and execute your thesis. Um, so that was really fun and a uh, great experience and was fortunate after that to meet a number of former Lululemon executives that were looking to raise a fund, a venture capital fund. Um, and that's how I ended up transitioning from private equity to venture capital. Um, as you probably know, private equity is you're buying an entire company, you have majority control. Um, 
and you're looking to hold it for three, four, five, seven years and, and then sell to another financial player or IPO. Um, so there's an exit in mind, whereas venture capital, you're investing at a much earlier stage rather than buying an entire company, you're buying a small stake of a company. Um, it's certainly more risky because the company has yet to be really fully proven. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, what I, what I noticed in my world of investing with OnCap and at Onyx was the most value that we were ever to create was often when we were able to invest in a company, but bring along resources to help that company grow, whether it be through networks or expertise. Um, and so what Campfire, the company, the venture capital firm that I started with the Lululemon executives, what we were looking to do was invest in early stage brands, um, but rather than just providing capital, providing them with real expertise and networks. Um, so we, we started this fund called Campfire. We were backed by over 30 current and former Lululemon executives. So they had invested in our fund and as well as a number of other very successful venture capital um, investors looking to invest in venture capital um, in the consumer space throughout North America. So seasoned retail executives, folks like Aldo Bensadoon from Aldo Shoes, um, David Siegel from David's Tea. So, so you know, prior founders of consumer retail CPG companies um, invested in our fund. And so we uh, we raised $32 million and started investing in a number of companies. And, and that was a great experience. Um, we invested in companies that you may know of. There's a company called Cotopaxi that is a disruptor um, to uh, the out outdoor apparel space. So disruptor like Patagonia, for instance. Um, we invested in a company called Figs in the healthcare scrubs category, um, as well as Frank and Oak, a retailer that started out menswear retailer and then, and then expanded to women's as well. Um, and then following Campfire, I, uh, I took a role with one of my, my biggest investors within Campfire was the Hussein family. And so I ran their private portfolio and venture capital and private equity um, for three years before now joining Brown Projects. So that's kind of long history of my background. Um, but yeah, I would say the experiences in investment banking and private equity certainly lended themselves to, um, to the migration into venture capital. Yeah, that's really awesome, um, especially that you're able to get a lot of experience before you went into venture capital. Um, so would you recommend students who are interested in a career in venture capital also start off in investment banking? Or what are some other kind of paths you've also seen um, for people getting into venture capital? Yeah, I mean, I would say one of the ways that we add value as venture capitalists is certainly looking at like financial models and helping them imagine, reimagine what a 2.0 might look like. In order to do that, you need to have a firm grasp of financials and, and modeling and growth and, and be able to wrap your head around that. Um, that being said, and so my experiences in investment banking and private equity have been helpful in that regard. That being said, I think having an entrepreneurial background or having started a business yourself and scaled it successfully or unsuccessfully, I think is something that can really lend itself to a career and path in venture capital um, because you know what to look for, right? If you've been a founder yourself, if you started a company yourself, if you come from that background, um, you've been on that path. So I think there are certain things that you can recognize in founders um, in terms of what to back, what not to back, you know, qualities, attributes that you're seeking in a founder. Um, so I think, yeah, people that come 
into the venture capital industry from a background in entrepreneurship and um, having already built something, again, whether successful or not, I think have been, have, have turned out to be really solid investors in, in the venture capital industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, those are some really important skills to go into venture capital. Um, so you mentioned that you were in venture capital for a few years now. So what were some challenges you faced throughout your time as a venture capitalist and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge is it's just so hard to find companies where there's the right fit sometimes, right? Um, you know, I think I shared with you earlier, like I speak to upwards of sometimes 40 companies a week. You know, we get inbounded a lot. There are a bunch of individuals that are looking to start businesses in D2C, so in the category in which we invest. Um, I think it's finding the right fit. I think that's sometimes the challenge because we're only looking to do, like I said, three, four, five investments a year. Um, we're really careful and disciplined about, about what we're looking to invest in and trying to ensure that there's a fit and a match and the ability for our team to be helpful. The last thing we want to do is invest in a company if we don't feel like we have the ability to, to help that founder, right? Um, and if we don't share a similar vision and mission for the company in terms of where it can go and how it can scale. Um, so fit, I think, is, is just an ongoing challenge. And when the stars align, the stars align. <laughs> and, you know, it, it doesn't happen all the time. It, it Like I said, we're only making three, four, five, six investments a year. Um, so you're, 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 you're meeting a lot of businesses and you get close and, and then you don't quite get there at the end of the day often because in my opinion, I think there's just, there's a misalignment of, of, of there's a fit issue. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's, that's a struggle to overcome, but it just, I think it for us and for our model and for what works well, that fit is so incredibly important that we're willing to hold out and ensure that we're backing the right opportunity, backing the right founder and bringing our expertise to the table where it can be most, most leveraged effectively. Mm -hmm. So fit is probably like one of the biggest things that you guys look for when you're investing in a company. Um, do you think or have you seen other common mistakes that people make when pitching to VCs that you wish that they maybe stop making or um, that you give as advice for entrepreneurs looking to pitch to VCs? Um, I think having a real clear vision of where, where, you, where you are and where you want to go is helpful. I mean, I think the advice I would give to founders looking to pitch to VC in general is, is first of all, make sure there's so much resource out there now in terms of websites, in terms of, you can take a look at the portfolio that we've invested in. We're all pretty transparent about things that we like to invest in where we've had success. Um, so I think doing your research and ensuring that you're targeting the right VC is probably the first, the first thing and being really clear when you get in front of them, when you have the opportunity to speak to them about what you're looking to do. Um, because it, it might just not be a sector that they're focused in. So for instance, I got an email this morning um, from a founder that is looking to build, you know, potentially a very innovative product, but within more of like a B2B um, rather than direct to consumer. And you know, certainly appreciated him reaching out, but it was also kind of like, you've crafted this beautiful email and sent it to me, but you're targeting the wrong VC. I'm 
you know, my mandate is to specifically invest in direct to consumer. And if you had spent a few minutes, you know, checking out our website and, and that would have become pretty clear to you. So I find that happens a lot, um, just in terms of where to, where to target out of the gates. Um, you know, if you're looking for an, an investment and you operate in the healthcare space, canvas the market for who the VCs are that are active in healthcare investing and that, um, you know, are, are, have raised a fund and are actively deploying from that fund. Um, so they've made recent investments as well, right? Um, that would probably be a big piece of advice I'd share. Mm, yeah, thanks. And just to build off of that, as from a perspective of a venture capitalist, what would you say is more important, a brilliant idea or a really flawless execution plan? Um, I, I would actually say it would be neither of those. <laughs> and it would be the founder because two things, I mean, your idea is gonna change 15 ways. You know, when you when you start out with an idea, it's gonna change. I think it's, it's the vision of like the goal of what you ultimately wanna create. So the, so the path to get there as well is going to change. The idea is going to change. The product's going to change. Um, we don't expect that to be flawless when we first meet the founder, um, but it's kind of backing the founder and, and their ability to steer the ship and to pivot as necessary and to change course to course correct um, while they're on that path. Um, because, yeah, we often find that, especially this early, that'll change pretty quickly. Awesome. Um, have you ever had to like deal with um, companies that didn't like work out, you reached quite like near the end kind of stages of a deal and then it didn't quite work out and how did you handle that? Um, yeah, I mean, that'll happen every now and again. Usually when we put a term sheet in front of a business, we've, at that point we've done quite a bit of diligence already and we're pretty sure it's going to happen. I would say in a small subset of cases, it doesn't. And it's usually as a result of something in our confirmatory diligence that comes up um, that, that, that prevents us from, from, from hitting go. Um, you know, yeah, it doesn't happen often. I think by the time you get as far as extending a term sheet to a company, um, to a founder, you're, you're pretty close to going forward. I mean, obviously if there's a competitive dynamic that, that certainly happens all the time where, um, you know, the founder might have four or five term sheets in front of them and, you know, they go with another bidder, like um, a higher valuation or, or a different set of terms that'll certainly happen, um, to every VC, any VC. <laughs> um, so that can happen, but, uh, but yeah, if we are like the only group at the table and if we've been conducting, you know, quite a bit of diligence and we get to that stage, then from our perspective, um, yeah, we're, we're ready to go unless we find something jarring through the course of confirmatory due diligence. Mm, yeah, thank you for sharing that. So now moving on, um, Fortune magazine stated that the percentage of female decision makers in the venture industry was about 13% in 2020. And in the past few years, there has been progress getting more women into venture capital, but that's still quite a low number. So what advice do you have for other women who are also interested in getting into venture capital? Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, it, it's still it's still too low, the figure. I mean, I think when I started in 
even investment banking and private equity, you know, forget about just narrowing in on VC, you know, the participation within investment banking and just other careers in finance was very low. And so it's starting to come up, um, but there's still a long way to go. Um, I would say, I think it's such a great time to be a young woman right now and to be pursuing a career in this sector. Like, there is so much attention on the merits of having females around the table, um, you know, of different demographics, of different ages, of different ethnicities. Um, you know, if you think about even in my specific sector in consumer, 90% of purchases are made by women, right? Um, you know, my team of eight has two women. I'm one of two women. And often Abby and I are, are looked to for our opinions on, would you buy this? Would you, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's really relevant uh, to have women at the table in VC, especially because, you know, we, we are the ultimate consumers of, of products. Um, well, we're at least half. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, when you're testing things like product market fit and trying to underwrite a thesis and, and I think having that demographic around the table, making a decision is going to be incredibly helpful. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I look at the deals that we're doing right now and we've got about four deals that are almost term sheet ready. And of those four deals, they're all businesses in which me, like I would be the consumer, you know, the, the, the typical target market. So it, it would just, it's a miss for my team to not have someone like me on, on our team to be able to answer that very important question. Like, do you buy this? Is this something that that you are going to, you know, participate in in terms of that that end market? So, yeah, I think that um, keep at it. I think the we still have a long way to go, but I think many venture capital firms are realizing that dynamic and the benefit of having women around the table. Awesome. So, do you think there would be like certain traits or skills that? are crucial to be successful in venture capital, especially as a woman? Yeah, I think first and foremost, look, you in VC, you don't have a majority of a company, right? Like you're, you're acquiring small stakes. Your ability to really help a company or steer a company is in your ability to influence. So I think having really strong interpersonal skills is crucially important. The ability to disarm and engage with the founder to be able to carry on a conversation, very like social EQ type things, I think are really, really important. Um, you know, oftentimes the best founders that I meet have no shortage of VC funds that are circling them and looking to learn more and even have that initial conversation. And so I think your ability to be able to, to do that, to get your foot in the door and even speak with that founder <laughs> is going to be contingent on your ability to socially, um, you know, disarm and be engaging and ask the right questions and be thoughtful. Um, you know, very, I would say like kind of EQ type, type qualities and characteristics. So I think, I think that's really important. You know, if you're, if you're not somebody that is engaging and if you're not somebody that enjoys people and conversations and this is not this is not the field for you you know um I think certainly a curious mind is crucially important asking the right questions asking questions being curious intellectually curious um is a trait that goes a really long way in this industry um not only because you 
want to be able to ask the right questions to ascertain if it's a strong investment. Um, but it also just opens up the dialogue with the founder, right? When you're asking the right questions, it makes the founder feel as though you've done your homework and that you are inquisitive to the right extent. You know, you're asking the right questions. I've often been on calls with founders where, um, you know, the takeaway is like, no one's ever asked me that before. That's a great question. You know, that's, it's, it's so nice to hear sometimes because it, it shows that, you know, I'm trying to be thoughtful. I'm trying to um, engage with you in a way that others aren't. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's really important. And, um, and I, the VCs that I admire that have done really, really well, I think are those that, that have those qualities. Mm, yeah, I think definitely interpersonal skills is something that most, if not all sectors of business would it would benefit you if you have good interpersonal skills so thank you for sharing that and just moving on to the next question what advice would you give to your younger self if you could um yeah i think i would say i think when i was in your shoes in university remind me are you in what year are you in for both of you you're both in first year you're both in first year okay so when i was in my first year of commerce I just remember having this idea of having this grand plan of, you know, five years and 10 years and 15 years. And if you asked me in my first year of commerce, if I was going to get into venture capital, I'd be like, I don't even think I knew what it meant. <laughs> I was so focused on graduating and, you know, getting into investment banking. It was sort of the holy grail of where I wanted to go. And, um, and, and I, I wasn't, you know, like when I was thinking ahead, it, it, I was kind of still in that swim lane. Um, I guess I would encourage my younger self to just be open to the possibilities, um, to not be so myopic in my vision, um, to think more high level of what I want personally out of life and what I want in a career, any career, and not be so specific on it needs to be investment banking or it needs to be like this and this in finance. Um, I think having flexibility and in your goal planning, I think is really important when you're, when you're as young as I was in my first year of university. I mean, I would also encourage you to try as many things as possible. I think, um, you know, in, through internships and um, I did study abroad programs when I was in my undergrad, I did um, a semester in Germany and one in Hong Kong. And I think just having exposure to different um, yeah, different communities, different people, different cultures. Um, it opened my eyes to different career paths as well. Um, and yeah, just talking to people, just, you know, hearing what they have to say about, you know, what they do and, and not so much like what they do. I would ask people like, what do you love about what you do? I mean, what do you not love about what you do? You know, kind of focus more on on, on that than, than the actual like nitty gritty, like, you know, what makes people happy in, in, in their roles? And is that something that would make me happy? Well, yeah. So I guess to ask you that question yourself, then um, what, what makes you happy and not happy about your role? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, I think I said it earlier. I think one of my favorite parts of my job is just getting to meet these super driven, focused founders every day, you know, regardless of whether we invest in them or not. Um, I find myself being inspired 
multiple times a day by, by, by founder stories, by origin stories of where they had that aha moment to start a business and where that came from and what that story is. So I, I, I really enjoy that the most, I think. Um, also in working with the founders, you know, when we invest in a company and watching that company grow and having some parts, it's very small part, um, in that trajectory and being helpful, I think is, um, it's a, it's a drug, you know, it's addictive certainly. Um, but I think, yeah, I think one thing that I, I would say is a challenge in my job is, um, and it's a challenge in any job. It's, um, it's just maintaining like it's a constant struggle maintaining work-life balance, right? Um, you know, when you do get excited about a deal, there's there's a certain level of urgency that occurs in terms of, you know, ensuring you're getting your ducks in a row and putting together a term sheet and, um, you know, having conversations with team members ahead of taking something to investment committee. And um, all of that is really time consuming. And I mean, just honestly, I'm, I have a 15 month old son and I'm actually six months pregnant with, my next baby. And so finding the time in the day to do all of those things once a deal is percolating, it's a challenge. It's not something I would say that I, I hate. I love it at the same time, but it's just a challenge, right? Um, and it's a necessary evil. Um, and I'm really fortunate to work with a group of individuals that are so supportive of me and my personal life and, you know, achieving that balance that I, uh, I have teammates that I can, I can rely on to help and that sort of thing um, and to support me. So I think that's really important. It's, 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 uh, it's finding the right team around you that can support you as you're facing those challenges because they exist with every job, right? Nothing's ever a quick slam dunk. There's always, once you get excited about something and you're, you're on that path, there's 15 things to get done within no time at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that's what I would say about my role. Yeah, that's amazing. It was like last week, we were supposed to talk last week and we were just, I think I shared with you, we've got four deals on the go. Like it has been just so crazy, crazy busy the last couple of weeks, which is a good thing, but it's also a challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, work-life balance is definitely quite hard, especially when you're, I think, in the business space, because when things are coming, like the workload piles up and you have a lot you got to deal with. It's true. Like when it rains, it pours in our industry, especially I find, you know, you might have weeks where you're not seeing much of interest or you're not finding fits. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, it's not just one or two things, but four things, you know, so it's got to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and you, unfortunately, you just can't time things. Right. Um, so yeah, when it rains, it does pour and it's trying to, it's just a challenge trying to balance everything. But, um, but yeah, no, I have found the mitigate, like, like what, what helps me in that challenge is certainly having a strong team around. Um, I think putting up your hand and, and asking for help when you need it. I think being honest and transparent about when you need to push back on, on something or when you need to, you know, recraft the rules and, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important to speak up when, when you're, when you're needing help or when you're needing flexibility. Mm -hmm. So to wrap up our last question here we have for you is what does success mean to you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's happiness, right? It's happiness in, in all facets of my life. It's, it's being able to feel like, you know, and nothing's ever going to be perfect. 
Um, but having, having the right balance of, you know, pleasure that's derived from my family life and, um, you know, my fitness goals, as well as, as well as being able to succeed in my career. Um, I think having, having it all is really success and something that you're always going to, I think, strive for. Um, and it's, I often find in my life, there's always like one thing that's, you know, not quite right, but you know, the other two are great. Or I think that, um, it's just, it's, it's constantly reaching for, for all of them to be aligned. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's, I think overall, I'm really grateful for, for, you know, all facets of my life in the sense of, you know, I'm, I'm in a career that I really love. I, I'm building a family real time. <laughs> um, and I have a really supportive network around me. So, I mean, that to me, like career is just one, one part of success to me. It's really having, having the other things that's, that's really important. Yeah, that's really great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to the podcast today, Manika. Um, it was really amazing. Just yeah, I know. I really appreciate it. Maybe next time we'll be able to be participating in a panel in, in person and um, won't be over Zoom. But yeah, really nice to meet you both. And I think it's great what you're doing. And um, and best of luck. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Tech Talks. We'll see you in the next one.